0: Hello, everybody, and welcome into another episode of the Eye on the Tigers podcast here at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I'm Ben Fredrickson, joined, as always, from the Columbia Bureau by Dave Matter, my colleague here at the Post-Dispatch, brought to you by executive producer Gary Harrelson, who makes this magic happen, the St. Louis-to-Columbia connection. We're here to talk Missouri Tigers basketball this week, going to stick to hoops, and we haven't really had a hoops-centered podcast in a while, so we'll get into that not exactly the 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 best time of the season for the Tigers we'll get into the ups and downs taking place in Como look at the SEC at large as well but wanted to start off dave with the thanks we got some updated numbers on the podcast Uh, we getting together submissions for the associated press sports editors and our subscriber count is way up compared to last year so we want to say thanks to everybody who has jumped on board to the podcast thanks for those who listen thanks for those who download thanks to gary who always helps us out here every week and makes it work with our crazy schedules and thanks most importantly to the listeners because we wouldn't be doing this without people to listen to it so start on a positive note right
1: it might go downhill from there, though.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, come on—that's that—that's for us. We we, for expect, our, we expect we expect we expect the worst, and uh, I think more more than anything, oftentimes this podcast is like catharsis. It's it's therapy for people, yeah. so that's what we're here for, and uh, and and we're happy to to serve in that role. And that's kind of the role we're serving in right now, at least in this phase of the basketball season. You know, Missouri. Was entering you know conference play on a on a relative high note, Dave. They had pulled out of that kind of scary three game losing streak um, that that really hit the bottom with Charleston Southern, and everybody was ready to you know call it a lost season. And then they went to Temple and won, and then they won the and Rights game, and then took care of business in their in their other you know more cupcakey games. They entered conference play on a four game winning streak and now they have lost back-to-back conference games. First at Kentucky, which, you know, uh, that happens. I thought they had a good approach, and they just got – they just got beaten by a, a better team that was on that night. We, we talked a lot about how Kentucky was hot and cold, and Kentucky was not as cold as Missouri needed them to be to win um, in the conference opener in Lexington. The, the disappointing one, though, is the home loss to Tennessee that followed. The 10-point the, the loss to a Volunteers team that was without Lamonte Turner, and uh, Missouri did not play very well. It was an ugly game around, but Missouri couldn't take take advantage of a bunch of Tennessee turnovers and kind of faded down the stretch there. So that's where we enter right now, this discussion of Mizzou basketball. Let's start there, Dave, just your, 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 your opinion, your stance on what has happened, I guess, to this team since kind of the high point, if you will, of the, of the bragging rights win.
1: Yeah. You know, as much as Conzo Martin will always prioritize defense and focus on defense and any mistakes they make on defense that contributes to a loss this team is just, they need to unlock this offense. I mean, when they are up against a high major opponent, more often than not, they struggle to get to 60 points, and you know, you can say, well, hey, it comes down to the defense being elite. Well, they're still pretty good defensively, and it's just not good enough when they turn the ball over like they do, when they can't get anything going on the perimeter, and when they get next to nothing inside, which was the case at Kentucky. Not so much in the Tennessee game, but it definitely was at Kentucky, and that Tennessee game, I mean, it was back and forth for a lot of the game. That looked like two pretty evenly matched teams, two very middle of the pack SEC teams, and then when Drew Smith fouls out with five oh four left, Missouri just absolutely crumbled, and and on both sides of the floor really, and uh, they just had no answers. They couldn't string together any. Any offensive possessions, they, they had one field goal in the final seven minutes of the game. I, I don't care who you're playing. I don't care how great your defense is. You're, you're not going to win a game like that. And to, to lose at home by 10 points when the opponent turns the ball over 21 times, we, we might need like the Elias Sportsboro or Stats Inc. to like see how many times that's happened. But man, that's hard to do in today's game and in, in any era's game.
0: It's hard to hard to do, and, and certainly hard to to do that and lose a home game. Um, if you if you looked up the number of times <laughs> that that team has a team has gone on the road, turned it over that many times in a conference game and won, it's probably pretty rare. Um, I guess we should. There's kind of layers to this, so let's start at, at a big one that is that is was not playing well and is now out with an injury, Jeremiah Tillman, that stress fracture, Dave. Um, it comes at a time when I think Missouri was kind of in some ways probably wrestling with what to do here, and and not that it hasn't been wrestling with what to do with Jeremiah Tillman for a long time, but there are times certainly when they seem to have better flow, better chemistry, albeit a smaller amount of a team that needs a lot more, when he is not on the court. And there are times when you you see flashes of the guy who could be be the kind of player who who becomes the the guy a team builds around but junior season now and in addition to his inconsistency on the court he's off it with a, a foot injury that seems to be a little murky in terms of when he could be back
1: yeah no real word or nothing really specific from Conzo, which is not a surprise as to when Tillman could come back I'd venture to guess he's gonna miss a handful of games you know he Conzo was meeting with the media later on Friday we might get a more clear answer, but I doubt it just based on track record when it comes to injuries. Uh, and that's a thing too, where you don't get surgery for a stress fracture in your foot and it just could linger for a long time. And when you're, you know, when you're 6'10", 6'11", um, you know, 260 pound big man, like you need your feet, obviously. And that has got to hold up a lot of weight in a big frame. So this could, this could drag on for a while here, but I'm, I am with you. Like this isn't one of those injuries where and I, the convenient narrative was made by some folks after this injury came out comparing this to losing Michael Porter Jr. or John Tate Porter. No, let's let's stop that immediately. Like, those, for one, those injuries came in the preseason or in the first season of the game, and those guys were a different level caliber of player than what we have seen from Jeremiah Tillman. This is year three from him, and he's averaging nine points and four rebounds. It's is, is nowhere near the production anyone expected him to have by the third year of his college career. It's easy to say, well, he's had a really up and down career. Well, there's been a lot more downs than ups. And it's just, you're just waiting for him to take that next step. This is a guy who wanted to enter the NBA draft last summer. And here he is, you know, a guy who's one of the, one of the far most experienced big men in the sec. And you just don't see much progress at all. And this is almost like a lost season. I mean, His numbers are down from a year ago. Um, He's, I don't know if it's, it's hard to say he's that much better of a player than he was as a freshman. Uh, you take him off the floor and it can change some dynamics. You know, teams are not going to have to game plan their defense around Reed Nico. They're not going to double team him like they did, you know, Tillman all the time. So that impacts how teams will defend other players from Missouri, not on the perimeter. It, it might take away some open looks that you would have otherwise, but, this is just kind of the latest chapter in this ongoing saga of Jeremiah Tillman. When is he going to become the player and fulfill the promise that was kind of expected of him? And now it seems like everything's just going to be in a holding pattern with him.
0: It's a sometimes it's like a, a homeristic or or glass, glass more than half full take to say, well, maybe this will lead to a, a team being better without a guy when he goes out. And well, usually it doesn't. When a guy's injured, it, it hurts right. the team. But this is a case where. The the idea of what Jeremiah Tillman can be is so tempting that it almost kind of forces you to to try to make it happen. But again, talking yeah. about year three, and now they can't force it. If he's on the bench in street clothes, you have to find a way without him. He doesn't come into a game, and 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 it's not a put, punch to the gut when all of a sudden he has two fouls, and you have to switch gears. It's it's he's not out there, and we've kind of said all along that one of the ways to handle this might be to play him until he gets you know just play him regardless of of fouls and you know when he gets five he's done and treated as either he's in the game or he's fouled out and you know other than like breaks for for catching his breath stuff like that and that way you're not constantly going back and forth between is he in is he out and toggling with a team that's already kind of Searching offensively, and this in some ways does that because he's not in, so the the team doesn't have him coming to the rescue. the team is not up and down depending on how he gets along with the officials that night now that doesn't mean they're going to score a bunch more points because this is a team that struggles to score whether he's out there or not and and that kind of leads us to our our next part of the discussion here is Missouri is you know it's not in a situation where it's Michael Porter jr. Or Jonte Porter out, and they they have got to figure out a way to survive. No, they had a multiple kind of multiple star approach to this season and it was supposed to be spread through Tillman and and Mark Smith and Drew Smith and and and, and those are the guys you know we should hit on too because Mark Smith has is not scoring like you need a, a lead guard to score and it's putting a lot of a lot of responsibility on Drew Smith who's having a hard time staying on the court too because he's getting some some ticky tack defensive fouls that he's got to avoid if, he, if he's going to be out there and leading this team
1: yeah you're absolutely right and you know if you starting in the front court, you know, the, the the contingency plans are Reed Nico and now you've got Mitchell Smith playing a lot of minutes at the 4 and the 5 position. Those are both Kim Anderson holdovers. I mean, I I think that is kind of a red flag on some of the recruiting and some of the player development that's going on here. Like nothing against those guys. I mean, they're doing their best, but where is the where's the backup? This is year 3. You know, they went out and got Axel Okongo took a flyer on him. He has played 59 seconds all year, and he's a seven-footer. They threw him out there in Lexington for less than a minute. He didn't log a single stat. I, I don't know. It's just kind of hard sometimes to understand what, what was the plan here. Were they really counting on Tillman playing 30 minutes a game? Um, but then if you, you shift out to the perimeter, like you said, you'll know, Mark Smith, if you break down his splits between high-major opponents and the low-major and mid-majors, he's like a different guy. The shooting percentage – is so much lower from three against the high major opponents. And I don't think that's a coincidence. He's playing against better, quicker, stronger athletes, and it's just harder to get open, harder to get open looks. It's the same for Torrence Watson, who's really only caught fire in two games all year. The Oklahoma game, where it was kind of garbage time, and then the Chicago State game, which was you know the worst competition Missouri's seen all year, and he breaks a arena record with eight threes against everybody else since then. He struggled to get open and get any shots. He, he never shoots from inside the three-point arc. I think he's taken eight field goal attempts all year from two, and he never gets to the free-throw line. So they've got some really one-dimensional players, and when those dimensions aren't working, this offense just doesn't function very well. Drew Smith, when he's out there, has, has been an effective player. He's, he's essentially the same guy as Jordan Geist with maybe two more assists a game. The shooting percentages are similar. The points are similar um turnovers are actually he turns it over a little bit more than Geist did uh, but he he gives you some versatility he's a strong guy he can get in the lane he, he's like their best post score which is not a good sign for the rest of the team um but again he swipes at the ball so much he's finding himself in foul trouble and and Xavier Pinson has been he's been a one step forward two step back kind of guy this this season he looked great against Illinois uh he's looked really good in flashes did not play well at Kentucky and did not play well against Tennessee. They they they're starting to give Mario McKinney some time at the point as that third ball ball handler and he's not really ready for this stage yet either. He doesn't have any kind of jump shot. He's he's struggled to, you know, hold on to the ball out there. So, they just they don't have a lot of answers. it might be they need to give more minutes to Kobe Brown who is starting. And, and more minutes to Trey Jackson, who looked really good and sort of a cameo the other night and led Missouri in scoring. So they're kind of looking for answers right now. One other stat to bring up, Javon Pickett. In Missouri's oh, I forgot wins, about
0: Javon Pickett.
1: In Missouri's wins, he's averaging 11 points a game. In Missouri's losses, he's averaging three points a game. So he is, is he an X factor or what? I don't know, but when he scores, they do pretty well. When he's taken out of the game, whether by himself or the defense or just isn't feeling it um, – they struggle to score points, so he he might be a more important guy that maybe we don't talk about as much than than you know some of these others.
0: There was a time last season when I thought he was going to be kind of the the energy glue guy, um, you know, J T Tiller type of the, of this team. He showed flashes of that, and and then it, it's really it looks it's it's so hit or miss. It almost looks like it's it's the freshman out there um, you know, before he really kind of came into his own. They've got to get more production steadily from him, and I think that's really the, 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 the status across the board here. You mentioned Trey Jackson. Um, fans are going to be eager to hear more about him because of the way he shot against Tennessee, and right now anybody who can score some points is looking pretty good. I thought you had a good observation. Uh, so many people were saying, "Why didn't he play more in that game?" I was wondering that. You caught something at the game, you know, he, him, him, you know, maybe not being in the in the in the shape required for him to play more minutes. Uh, what was going on there, and, and how important is it that he gets in ready for those minutes if he's going to be part of this rotation? One thing I noticed against Tennessee, you know, Console's playing a bunch of guys double-digit minutes. I mean, this is he's trying, and it probably before for. for for desperately searching but he's he's trying to find answers he's throwing a lot of guys out there to see who can grab hold of something and if he Trey Jackson's going to be that guy if he can keep shooting like that maybe but he's got to be able to stay on the court
1: yeah he he basically has to take himself out and Tonzo later said he was winded and just isn't in great, great game shape yet and okay well he's a freshman Maybe that's understandable, but he barely played in the month of December. So maybe if he played a little bit more, he wouldn't run into this trouble, but you also have to earn your minutes too. So it's, it's kind of a chicken or the egg there with him. Um, but you can see the talent there. Um, some of these guys, it, it's, it, it puts coach in a tough spot because you got to get these guys out there to get them some confidence and get them some experience, but also you need guys out there that you can count on. So do you risk playing a freshman who hasn't proved it yet and you don't really know what you're going to get? Or do you stick with the veteran who at least you kind of can trust to some degree? But if those veterans aren't getting it done, maybe you have no choice. There was a part of that game in the second half where Kanza ran all three freshmen out there together. You know, Mario McKinney handling the ball with Trey Jackson and Kobe Brown um, at the, at kind of the, the four and the five. And then, I think Mark Smith and maybe maybe Pickett out there with him, too. So that was a very unique lineup. It didn't last very long he He does substitute a lot. People bring that up a lot I, most of the time, I think it's for defensive matchups. Uh, there this talk about positionless basketball, I know Conzo's brought up before, but he's really kind of the opposite of that. I mean, it is he guys are locked into a certain position. They have their certain backups. And there's not a lot of mixing around. I mean, really Mitchell Smith is the one guy that can bounce between the four and the five. Other than that, everybody pretty much sticks to their their spot and you don't see a lot of versatility. They when they go small, it's really only their lineup that it normally is, and maybe Mitchell Smith at the five. So um maybe a little more flexibility, a little more creativity with the lineup could be could be a solution here. But you know, you you don't have a lot of great options when nobody's really playing well. I don't I don't think we're going to see more of Okongo. I, I just don't know about that. I mean, if if he's that much of a liability out there, you don't really understand why you got the scholarship in the first place. It was kind of an off-season flyer that they took on the guy in the summer. So we'll see. I just that I, more than anything, they just need these guys to play better than what we've seen from them. Because I don't think there's any kind of magical solutions on the bench.
0: Well, I feel like we should try to find something uh, upbeat to uh, to to talk <laughs> about here, but uh, that's kind of where things are in in a big game against Florida on Saturday. Um, they got to try to find some answers. You're either going to have to turn every game into such a low scoring affair that uh, you're basically going to choke teams out, and and find enough offense to scratch by, or you got to find some sort of breakthrough. Better yet, find somewhere that's in the middle. Um, letting your Tennessee opponent shoot sixty percent in the second half is not going to be a blueprint for Missouri to win. So I guess before we look at the league as a whole, are, are you seeing signs of of trouble with the defense, or is this more of just you know the offense is asking so much of the defense it's going to be hard? Tennessee made a lot of contested threes in that game. Uh, they had some shooters. Now they they were also you know defense wasn't as as tight as it as Konzo wants it to be, and I know he wanted he wanted to keep the attention there, but at some point, you're gonna face teams that hit down contested shots because that's what good college players do, yeah, the threes
1: weren't good the other night um they made like you said, they made some tough shots, and it was from some guys who haven't shot very well this year, and you know the the shots fell for them that night. I think one thing that you know we, it's maybe the casual observer doesn't always pick up on um you know the one reason that that it hurt not having drew Smith out there is. You know, Rick Barnes is smart. He was trying to get switches and get uh, get Xavier Pinson matched up against uh, the big Frenchman, Eves Pond, who is six six. He's kind of like Admiral Schofield was for them—a bigger body, but he can shoot out on the perimeter. And when when he got matched up on Pinson, that was a big win for Tennessee. Uh, earlier in the game, you know, they would switch, and it would be Drew Smith on him. And Drew Smith's a little smaller, but he can he can handle that because he's stronger and he's he's got. Um, you know, he's he's just a better defender all around. And Missouri was fine with that matchup, but they didn't have that option when when he fouled out. And they went to ponds and he was able to make some shots or able to, you know, make some plays for his teammates. So those are some of the little things that, you know, don't show up in the box score, but, but really do, you know, have a big factor in how they're playing defense. The one thing I think is a consistent concern with their defense. They put teams on the foul line way too much. If you, if you look inside this, some of the advanced numbers, opponents, Missouri's opponents are accounting, 25% of their points come from free throws. That is a lot. That is 10th in the nation. So there's only nine teams in the country out of 353 who allow their opponents to shoot, um, to account for their point. Have free throws account for a higher rate than Missouri. So teams are living on the foul line because Missouri fouls so much. And it, it's that line between playing really aggressive and gritty and rugged and then just, just hacking people. And I think Missouri's players need to be smarter to recognize how a game is being officiated. And like the Illinois game, heck, they were letting anything go in that game for the most part. And what do you know, Missouri won. Other games, the whistles come out a lot sooner, a lot more frequent. And that's where Missouri players have to adjust, and especially the guards, especially Drew Smith, to know what you can get away with, and and what is going to be called.
0: When we look at the league as a whole, you see you see teams like you know Kentucky that have the talent. Can they put it all together? You, you, you see a, a, an awesome awesome freshman <laughs> at Georgia, and the in the excitement there. Um, you you know LSU is maybe you know trending in, in the right direction. You like I know you like Vanderbilt and think that that could be a, a kind of a sleeper. What do you make of the SEC as we kind of get through the first uh, the first introduction of games here?
1: I thought through the first few games of conference play, there seems to be a clear one and two in Auburn and Kentucky, and a clear thirteen and fourteen in South Carolina and Texas A&M. A and a and M is worse than. South Carolina, they're really bad. Buzz Williams is a really good coach. I think he'll recruit well there, and they'll be a good team in a few years, but not right now. That leaves a really big middle, and I think a few teams are starting to get closer to Kentucky and Auburn. Uh, Arkansas is one of them. They just lost a tough game at LSU, but I think both of those teams, Arkansas and LSU, are in the running to be you know 3-4 in the league. Uh, Florida is always going to be solid under Mike White. They've played a pretty tough schedule, and they, you know, they've you they won all their SEC games so far. They need a double overtime to beat Alabama. Alabama's an interesting team. New coach there, Nate Oates, who came from Buffalo. I think they lost four of their first six games, but they are playing much better lately, and they score a ton of points. So they're one of those teams where, yeah, maybe they don't play great defense, but you can't be in the 50s against Alabama and expect a win, and Missouri's got to go there on the road next Saturday. Uh, Vanderbilt, too. They're a team, I think, in the in the media poll that had Missouri 13th. I think Vanderbilt was picked 14th. They've got some scorers on that team. They took Auburn to the brink the other night at Auburn. Had a really good chance to win that game. They've got Aaron Niesmith is, I think, he's the fifth-leading scorer in the nation. Uh, Scottie Pippen, Jr. is a freshman point guard there. Yes, it is, he's the son of, of Scottie Pippen, the NBA Hall of Famer. Jerry Stackhouse is the coach there. He, he's bringing some excitement. He'd never been a college coach before made his uh, mark obviously as an nba player as an aau coach one of these kind of uh outside the box types hires and i think they're a dangerous team just based on what they did the other night against uh at auburn so uh, the league it's not going to get eight teams to the ncaa tournament like it did two years ago last year it got seven it might be more of a five or six year uh, five or six team year but there are some. I think maybe some some dangerous teams in there. And when you're a Missouri and struggling like you are right now, every, every game is going to be a grind.
0: I wanted to ask you about Auburn. Do you think Auburn is legitimately? I mean, one of the one of the few remaining unbeaten teams in the country deserve to be ranked highly. Are they that good? I mean, is this is this an Auburn team that we should start talking about? You know, being a contender for a Final Four, a, a, a national championship.
1: Yeah, they're they're one of two unbeaten's with San Diego State. They haven't played a great schedule yet. They they beat Mississippi State on the road. Um, they beat NC State. We know they they beat Slu, and that was a, a fairly close game. They didn't really play a very aggressive non-conference schedule. Um, a decent win over Davidson, New Mexico, Furman. You know, no no blue bloods by any means, but they've got some guys. And Isaac Okoro is a freshman, six six wing who was really good the other night against Vandy. Samir Dowdy, uh, he's the guy that uh, he had the unfortunate play in the Final Four last year, where he either called a timeout or, or a turnover late, big mistake might have cost him a chance to play for the national championship. But he's a really good guard. Javon McCormick, junior college guard, he's just one of those Bruce Pearl type players who um, you know is, is is really fast up and down the courts, can score a lot of points in a flash uh Austin Wiley is still there as a senior he was a big time recruit well i think he had some NCAA issues for a while so we know Bruce Pearl can recruit uh he has survived you know NCAA investigations and issues up and down at Auburn and we know he's a really good coach so i, I think they are a legit contender to win this thing obviously and and make it all the way this year maybe back to the final four they they look like a better team right now um, maybe not as experienced but they look a little bit more explosive than they did a year ago, when they kind of were up and down in SEC play, and then made a push at the end of the year uh, in the SEC tournament, and then obviously in the NCAA tournament. So I think they're for real.
0: Never doubt Bruce Pearl's ability to survive and, and thrive, and he's got a great place <laughs> to right. do it at, at Auburn too, because they'll protect him with tanks if uh, if they have to. Um, all right, well, we'll we'll wrap this up, and and we'll run, and 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 we'll have coverage of of Saturday's game. Against Florida, I'll be in Columbia with you, and we'll have uh, we'll have you know uh, dual coverage from from Como there against against the Gators. Quickly though, I wanted to say I loved your interview with Kim English. You had the blog, kind of the full Q and A, and also the story in in the paper. Um, but I have to ask: I mean, is there any way in 2020 that there would ever be a fan support group for a college basketball player called Cougars for Kimmy? I mean that. Did you see the Cougars? Did you see the Cougars for Kimmy reunion? So now for people who don't know, I, I mean, so like, hey, what, anything, what,
1: anything it takes to boost attendance at Missouri Arena. Hell. I mean, Missouri might want to schedule Tennessee for like a non-conference <laughs> game to to get the Cougars out. I, he he will go down as as he's not the best player to play at Missouri in the last twenty five years, but he he might be the most popular. And I think a lot of it was just his charisma. He was so. Uh, outspoken he was so defiantly loyal to Missouri's program you know he'd say some things that maybe turn some people off sometimes he uh he he bristled with the media at times um but he was never boring you can you can give Kim that much and, and give him credit for at 31 he's working on his his uh his third division one staff uh he's a guy that he's got a plan ready if if he should get an opportunity to be a head coach he interviewed for the Missouri State job you know a, a year and a half ago. And he's already to be to be a head coach at some point. He's learning under one of the best right now in Rick Barnes at Tennessee, and uh, you know you you want to pull for the guy. And I, there's going to be obvious, course. Hey, bring him back to Missouri. I, I think I think Mizzou could maybe take a break on hiring former players <laughs> in, in the major sports. Those, those don't always go well, but you know no one should be surprised if he's a head coach somewhere this, this in the not too uh, distant future.
0: For folks who don't know about Cougars for Kimmy, that was Kim English's um, unique um, cheering s- selection, which was, I believe, at least one Missouri professor, uh, a group of, of of women who dubbed themselves Cougars for Kimmy, and you can you connect the dots there. And they had shirts, and there was a reunion when Kim came back to coach uh, with Tennessee, and uh, the signs and the and the shirts were out, and hey. You know, people were were happy to see him. I got a lot of respect for Kim. I was at Mizzou, working for the writing for the Columbia Missourian when he was playing, and he taught me a lot about how to do interviews and what not to ask. And 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 you know, we we kind of the first guy butted heads with, and also ended up having a good relationship with. Um, we I learned a lot from him, and I'll never forget ever Dave. You'll remember this um, when the when the you know idiot put the stupid uh, cotton balls at, on the on the lawn of the Black Culture Center in Columbia. And it was one of those things where it was the biggest story in town. This guy had been arrested. He was, a, you know, as he should have been. And Kim English had some of the most clear-headed and thoughtful comments on that as anyone in Columbia at the time as a player as a college student at the University of Missouri saw an opportunity to say hey you know this is how i feel and he spoke confidently and without fear of backlash and 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 said some really eloquent things that I, i'll never forget him taking an opportunity to stand up and do that and that's kind of been the guy he he was always going to tell you what he thought whether uh, whether it it put him in a in a tight spot or not and, and i thought that uh i thought he was he was a true leader that day and has continued to be
1: Absolutely, and you know, I, I think also players from that era. Um, I, I think a lot of them developed a little more rapport with the media than than we get now. And guys like Lawrence Bowers, yep, um, even guys like Marcus Denman. You know, Matt Lawrence before them, um, and I, I just think it, a lot of it. A lot of it comes down to access. A lot of it just comes down to the personality of the guys. But th- that was a, a really a really special era, and I, I think we. Maybe in the media, you might take that for granted a little bit. When things now are, are different, you know, you really don't get to know the players very well. Uh, they may not be as comfortable expressing themselves like a like a Kim English or a Lawrence Powers was because they're they're not around the media as much. So, um, you know, it's a shame that things change that way. But you, it does make you appreciate a guy like Kim, uh, and then you know you, you foster and develop a relationship. With him, just like he did with the fans, I do. I do wonder. It's been eight years since he played at Missouri. Do Cougars, um, do, when they age, do they, are they still Cougars? Yeah, I, are they still Cougars or hey, are they something
0: else? Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to say that for the next podcast. Give me give me a week to <laughs> week to think about it. Um, we're probably uh, going too long as it is, but anyway, yeah. Now we're waxing nostalgic and, and wondering about the glory years. I I'm, I, uh, I don't know how we got here. Blame Kim English. Um, no, Dave. The good glory st- years of the Frank Hayes era. <laughs> hey, all I gotta say is parting line for everybody listening: reconcile by winning. Okay, and uh, we'll leave it at that. Um, Dave, good stuff, man. I'll see you Saturday, and we'll have uh, we'll have coverage in in the paper online at stlct.com. And really, seriously, thanks again for for those who've jumped on board here this year. Uh, we appreciate you. Um, thanks for coming along for the ride if you're just getting um, a chance to listen it's very easy to subscribe go to stltoday.com slash podcasts even easier itunes whatever you use for your podcast needs just search i on the tigers podcast you can find us there and we appreciate you being a part of it for dave i'm ben we will talk to you next week